You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. Uh, My name is Rusty and joining me in this episode all the way from the U.S., is Mr. Rex Tibor. How are you, Rex? I'm doing good, Rusty. How about you, buddy? Yeah, going very well. Thank you for joining us uh, early this morning. Well, early for me. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a time gap between uh, uh, North Dakota and the United States and down down under there. It's, it's quite a difference in time for sure. Yeah, we're about five o'clock in the morning here, so I'm, I am trying to wake up. Uh, what's the time there? You're about <laughs> midday or so, aren't you? Lunchtime. It's about, it's about lunchtime, yep. So it's not bad. I appreciate your uh, accommodation with my time there. That was very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all right. You know, nothing like waking up uh, nice and early and getting the day started and kicking off with uh, with some good conversation. Whereabouts is North Dakota in the U.S. Uh, for those not familiar? So if you take the uh, continent of North America mm-hmm. and the United States is in the middle of that continent, and then the northern border with Canada is kind of a big straight line, right in the center mm-hmm. um, against Canada, in between Montana. And uh, Minnesota, on the border with Canada, is a little state, very low population, around half a million people in the entire state, and that's North Dakota. And uh, a very, very cold, continental interior type climate. Um, and the winter times are very brutal. We can get down to, yeah, I, I know you guys use Celsius, but in Fahrenheit terms, we get down to 50 below, 70 below Fahrenheit, which is very cold. And... Um, we have a good time in summer. It can get up to you know 100 degrees, and we got a diverse topography and landscape out here. But it's mostly wide open country, and the culture is very, very old school. There's not a lot of cities, a lot of small towns, ranching communities, agriculture type communities, um, and and a little bit of oil field activity, uh, you know, here and there when boom and bust cycles. <laughs> so, yep, that's where I'm from. Yeah, sounds amazing. And, and the hunting's good there. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's, uh, you know, back in the old days when Lewis and Clark, for a little bit of history, explored the western United States. They're the first people, you know, from the European side. Mm. And and as far as we can tell, I mean, if you go way back, there's probably the Vikings and the Romans and the Chinese probably even (laughs) explored once. But when they were settling the place, Lewis and Clark went through North Dakota. Back in those days, there was a lot of elk on the the Great Plains Mm. and in the Badlands, grizzly bears, a lot of deer, excellent buffalo herds um, during in the summer and uh, a lot of game uh, right now mostly it's like white-tailed deer and mule deer are the large game that everyone starts going crazy after actually season just started here uh, that we got our first good snow uh, a week or two ago and so it's nice and cold up here now and it's winter time and um, they're having fun chasing them critters around <laughs> and it's all kind of long range shooting too because it's so open country mm-hmm. you know uh, sometimes your closest shot might be two three hundred yards and then well beyond that is where you see them and try to take advantage of the landscape and the topography and try to get sneaky and try to get close enough to make a shot <laughs> but yeah there's lots of good deer hunting prairie dog hunting for varmint hunters they're like a small underground animal they burrow in holes for those that might not be familiar with that mm-hmm. or uh you know coyotes and varmints and there is elk still in the badlands and up in the mountains here and um really 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 large species of elk for those who are into hunting the, the antlers get very huge a lot of boone and crockett level records have been taken from the area right around here um i think it's because the winters are so tough that they're a large-bodied animal to survive the winter okay and with that there's the subspecies is uh really really large in terms of uh 
you know, if you're looking for a trophy or something like that. So, yeah, all kinds of hunting. A guy grew up kind of doing that since uh, as early as I can remember with my father. So, so you grew up in North Dakota. You've been there your whole life. Uh, no, uh, I grew up here in a very small community. Uh, my father was a professional musician for almost his whole life, but he was also uh, very much a hunting man. Uh, musicians don't make a lot of cash, <laughs> <laughs> even successful ones, which my father and some of my other family were very successful back in the 70s and 80s. And they did tours and they made albums and they had recording studios and they did all kinds of stuff like that, studio musician jobs. Um, but it's not something that makes a huge pile of gold. And so we kind of relied on hunting for a lot of our, you know, food and, and filling the fridge in the freezer. And so, yes, my father, um, um, you know, is I remember being four years old out in the woods. Well, we could call it the woods, but in the creek bottom, a very wooded, lots of cottonwood trees, you know, and uh, sitting there trying, and he's trying to explain to me why I have to be still, why I have to be quiet because, <laughs> you know, kids are noisy. And I remember him really being, really being a good mentor on that and explaining, no, you got to be quiet. You got to be sneaky so that when the deer comes, you don't scare it away. And then we're bow hunting uh, with a old bear, you know, wood recurve bow with no sights on it, old school. Mm-hmm. And you have to get very close, like, you know, you know how close you have to get when you don't have sights on a recurve bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I remember doing that since I was, since my earliest memories. And uh, it continued on. And of course, I, I've been all over the place and uh, kind of went all over the, like I, I was in the Rockies for a while and then I was abroad a little bit and uh, got to do all kinds of fun stuff and learn different skill sets from different folks and it was a good good time i have a lot of fun with it yeah brilliant and you said you spent some time overseas whereabouts was that oh i just uh you know i'm a traveling man so i like to explore the world and uh yeah. with my little guitar in hand and stuff like that and i've been to europe and asia and you know like the oh kind of all over the place and so I, I continue to like to do that. I'd love to come visit your part of the world at some point in the future. It'd be pr- pretty cool. Australia has always been on the list, and yeah. um, uh, that would be very cool. I got uh, a few different friends that are from down there, and uh, it's actually um, interesting because from what – and I don't know because I haven't been there yet, uh, but the outback, from what I hear, is very similar to the western part of uh, the United States where I grew up in, in terms of culture, accents different, but a lot sure. of the experiences, a lot of the uh, saloon type activities that happen where you throw chairs at each other at the saloon and being out in the middle of nowhere, you know, with <laughs> driving around with the pickup truck real fast, uh, you know, hitting bumps and having a good time. Uh, that's the same kind of stuff we grew up with here in the Western United States as well. I think you might be right. And, uh, and look, we do throw chairs with the best of them. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> we, can, we can have a big competition when you come over here if we can throw the most chairs in the shortest amount hey. of time. Yeah, nothing convinces someone of something but like throwing a chair at them. That's a very good communication <laughs> mechanism. It's a very very persuasive, isn't it? Is, it, is that what I you're doing it. in part of your training? Is that one uh, one of the methods? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you got to be have a hard line eventually, right? <laughs> I usually like to try to explain things nicely to people, uh, and I have a lot of patience, but eventually you do got to throw the chair or whatever you got to throw. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's right. And, and obviously music has been pretty uh, pretty big part of your life. I know that sure. your early YouTube videos were, were pretty heavy on music. Yeah, I started off my YouTube channel. I never had the internet until 2009. 
And um, mm-hmm. I graduated from uh, secondary education back around the turn of the century there. And uh, I didn't have a computer. I was a field guy. I was always in the field working, doing my thing, doing stuff like that. And so computers was not necessarily a mystery to me, but it was something that I had zero use for. And so mm-hmm. when I decided after being out of secondary school for about eight years that I would just uh, go and be educated. So I went and I studied natural sciences at a university and I got a couple different degrees in science there. And I was in originally intending to use it for education. I thought it'd be fun to teach science class, either at a college level or university level. So I, my, uh, I was going to college and as a part of going to college, you have to do everything online. So it forced me to buy a computer which yes. I did not want to do because I hate computers. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'd rather be outside, you know what I mean? And so at any rate, I got a computer so you can log for your classes or whatever in the homework. And I, it was just a whole different planet than what I was used to um, growing up with chalkboards and, you know, getting hit by a stick or whatever and reading in a book. And uh, so I got a computer. And then as a part of that deal, um, some friends said, hey, you know, there's this thing called YouTube where you can upload your music or whatever you're doing or, you know, guys upload funny videos about like cats or well, I don't know, all the different stuff, right? <laughs> all the important things in life. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I thought, yeah, that'd be a cool, cool place. I had a lot of people. I was uh, recording uh, music and uh, doing things like that. And I thought, hey, I'll share this music. But how do you, you know, making DVDs is a tedious process. And mm. so, or not DVDs, but we call them laser circles. CDs, right? <laughs> That's the ones. <laughs> the laser circle. And so uh, <laughs> making those is tedious. It takes like hours per deal and then it's expensive. And I thought, man, if I could just throw them on the YouTube there, um, that would be interesting. And so I, I put my music on the YouTube, but I realized you could put pictures behind it. So I started organizing my albums with just picture slideshow kind of deals. And then I, sure. as I played with the editing software, I thought, man, this is kind of fun. It's like an art form, you know, graphic design mixed with music and articulating like what you're trying to communicate in the song. I thought that was cool. And so yeah. I kind of got into the music side and the original ones are really, really, really basic, <laughs> very basic <laughs> in terms of videography. You know what I mean? And, mm. uh, so it's kind of like Stone Age type stuff. And then, of course, I used it. I also like uh, historical and biblical type stuff, um, you know, Bible study type stuff or whatever. So I put some of that on there. My channel was originally mostly my commentary on the world, the universe, and music. And there was nothing, anything about firearms on there because, as you probably know from where you're at, mm. and even here nowadays in the United States, it's not – I mean, where I'm from, it's totally normal, but the rest of the United States is not always politically expedient to get involved with firearms, especially if you put it online. There are certain lines of work, for example, the university world, the education world might not like that um, if you try to apply for a job elsewhere. You know, if I was to do that here at home, it's very normal uh, part of the culture to be inundated with firearms culture and shooting stuff after work or whatever and hunting it's all very normal for the particular part of the united states i'm from sure but if i want to be more flexible with my career opportunities i had to be more careful and so i'd never posted anything about the firearm stuff online just out of caution for that until a little bit later yeah i saw that your first gun related video or correct me if i'm wrong was uh customizing your sager 12 gauge 
Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. We had the auto loading twelve gauge shotguns, and we had so much fun with it. It was hilarious, you know, and just running around and in the badlands shooting, you know, whatever pop cans or <laughs> just blowing stuff away. And so it was hilarious. It was just so much fun that I thought we got to videotape this because it's yeah such a fun gun. If you want to convert someone into a firearms enthusiast, you take them out with the Sega twelve with the twenty round drum. <laughs> and uh, just ha- there's no recoil, and you can hammer out 20 rounds like in a couple seconds, mm. and pretty much anything in front of you that was the target is no longer there. <laughs> so it's it's very very effective for winning people over. <laughs> they love it, you know. And so I posted a couple of videos like that on there, and uh, it was kind of fun. And then I thought, oh, it'd be fun, you know, I'll sh- um, throw one of them long range videos on there. And I think I did a couple videos with the 338. Lapua Magnum and a surgeon rifle yeah. that I uh, still have. And uh, people were very interested in that. And so they started asking questions on how that would be done. Like, how the heck do you shoot like that far? Mm. And I didn't realize, oh, man, I didn't know this wasn't a thing because we're in my, what I used to do with it. And and where I come from, that's kind of a skill set that a lot of people have. Uh, maybe not on that particular, in, in, maybe not in-depth that much as as I have expounded upon later, as it came out for the next few years in the instructional series I put out, mm. but uh, it was kind of a thing that I was surprised. Okay, so I started trying to do little tutorials. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do a couple little just, but it, the tutorials were in email form, so yeah. people would ask me, oh, how do you yeah. pick a scope? And it it became such a workload of trying to answer everyone's emails just from a couple of videos I posted. I'm like, well, how do you account for spin drift? And I'm like, well, that's going to be like an hour long conversation. <laughs> and when you're typing it, it's like a three week dissertation you got to type up. And I figured, man, you know, maybe I didn't realize there's such a gap in knowledge here. Mm. And it would be cool to share the enthusiasm of long range precision shooting with the world if they don't know how to do it. And if maybe you have a knack for explaining it, maybe a little video tutorial series would be in line. And so that's where, and it was a little bit difficult to stick my neck out there and and decide to kind of put that out there for those political reasons, like I said before. But anyways, I dived in full bore and said, heck with it. And people loved it so much, it became, it was originally going to be a five or a 10 part series. And it turned (laughs) into 101 videos. (laughs) People enjoyed it. Yeah. And And, uh, I enjoyed it too. I I enjoy talking about stuff that I just, I like engaging with people and I like helping people uh, learn things or teach it as much as I can or learning things from them. I love the conversation and it's a, it's a field in firearms, which actually requires a huge amount of discipline of not only skill set but of character to execute with any kind of effectiveness. So most of your goofballs who are going to get into firearms, at least where I'm from, uh, might not pick that particular venue because it, they don't have enough patience. They just want to, you know, run around and get Western, right? Yeah. But if you really want to get effective with precision shooting at extreme long ranges, you have to kind of become a scientist. And that requires a lot of study and a lot of attention to detail, which weeds out as a natural filtration mechanism. A lot of the people who maybe I wouldn't want to be engaging anyways <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> on a, the channel. That's a really good point where, you know, we are in a, in a sport that you can't quite so easily just pick up and, and go. You, you do have to spend some time studying some research and, and getting that, that discipline to actually make things work for you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it requires a lot of work. And I mean, years and years and years and years mm. of messing around if you're trying to learn it yourself, you know. Sure. Uh, some formal instruction can be helpful. I learned a lot from my father, obviously, and from cousins and friendly competition with just family members out in the bush, you know, just having a good time. Like, oh, how far can I shoot? And you keep trying to outdo each other. And then, but uh, I got some more formal instruction later from some different uh, uh, mentors of mine, and they kind of explained how to dial things in more properly um, mm-hmm. on the optic and, and utilize ballistics and mathematics. And I originally, this is before they had ballistic calculators that were available to civilians for normal prices, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. when I learned it, I did it longhand with a pencil and a calculator. And so, um, and then by observation also, using scientific method, doing actual testing with the rifle, writing down the dope, and then comparing that with different atmospheric data from different, you know, data upon previous engagement, dope is what that means. And Uh so kind of getting scientific, I was able to refine a data system that was very field expedient that would make it very effective for actual real world use, which I found fun because I have all kinds of real world uses I can do. You know, they can go hunting maybe. Or the tactical style uh, shooting, you know, where you're shooting at the different targets at unknown distances with the time limit pressure in uh, sure. less than ideal uh, positions. Things like that are, are a lot of fun. You know, the the PRS style uh, shooting as they, or the NRL style for here in the United States are very, very big in the last couple of years anyways. Yeah. And so there's a lot more enthusiasts in the sport now, which is exciting. Yeah, we have certainly seen that uh, significant growth here, and it continues to uh, to grow. As as I'm talking to you now, we are two weeks away from our PRS finale for the year. So uh, we've certainly seen a massive, oh, wow. cool. massive growth. Uh, and this is the first uh, first year of the series uh, and, and expected more shooters and more events next year. So uh, we, we're definitely mirroring that and seeing that over here. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I, I know that... Uh, I've talked to some, I got a friend who lives in Melbourne and uh, he visits once in a while, comes over and hangs out and uh, we have a good time and, and uh, there's a lot of enthusiasts. I mean, that used to be a part of the culture. I know um, mm. pre-1990s in Australia was kind of very similar to the United States in terms of firearms, enthusiasm and things like that, hunting and all that kind of stuff until I think it was, uh, what was the event that happened there? The Port Arthur Massacre? Is that's, that what happened? That's Yes, that took a significant uh, dent into the into the culture aspect yeah. of it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Which is unfortunate because um, many reasons. And I don't know how much you want to get into that whole topic on your show. I'm willing to get into there if you're allowed to, but uh, I don't know the rules over there, man. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> I know a- I get in trouble when I bring it up. So, it's, oh man. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, we have similar things happening here in the United States. We'll keep it that way. Here in yeah. the United States, um, you know, people. And I, let's start over like this. It's kind of funny. I'm going to use a little bit of dark humor here, okay? Nobody <laughs> ever killed anybody in any bad way in all of history. You know, Roman Empire, Medo-Persians, Greeks, like Bar- like the Mongolian invasions, uh, all the different wars throughout time. Nobody actually killed anybody for any bad reasons until the the invent of semi-automatic firearms. That's right. Before then, nobody could get killed. No. Nah. No, it's uh, nope. It, it wasn't even possible. There's no way to kill a human, <laughs> not, and so not at all. that's no. And there was no criminals. There was no robberies. There was no violent crime, and there was no murders ever in history until they invented firearms. That's when the problem started. That's and, and so everything changed. Then. Gl- 
Yes. And I, I'm very happy that our politicians have the, the wisdom to see that dynamic and that trend, that that trend started when they invented firearms in history. And so I'm really glad they've got a good control of that deal. And now only only good people with guns now exist on the face of the whole earth, right? And so there's no problems anymore. It's great that you've got so much confidence in your uh, confidence in your elected leaders over there. It's a, it's, a, it's refreshing to hear that, Rex. I'm uh, I'm really encouraged. Oh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's come back but, to um to uh, probably probably what most people know you for is, or at least came across you initially, was the Sniper 101 series, which you alluded to, which sure. ended up being yep. 101 videos. Is that right? Yes, sir. It originally started off being labeled as a long-range precision shooting 101. Yep. Unfortunately, in the title, as it's displayed on YouTube, nobody can see what the heck the actual video is about, like barrel harmonics or you know cartridge selection or whatever, right? Or gotcha. like uh, system rigidity. And so uh, to truncate it, I called it the Sniper 101, which is you know legitimate because that is one of the things you have to master in that specific skill set. But it's not only for those guys. It's for any kind of shooting of any animate targets for any field application, whether that PRS, uh, competition yep. shooting or hunting or whatever. Uh, but so that's, yes, uh, that was kind of where the huge amount of popularity uh, came in on my particular channel, I wasn't even paying attention to views or subscribers until someone told me to look at it. I didn't even know where to find it. I just upload the video and then there's <laughs> questions and I answer a few of them. And I, I was out in the field all the time shooting and having fun and, and working, yeah. you know, as a working man and doing my uh, studies and all that stuff and reading books and whatever I was doing. So I wasn't really into it. And I was surprised later because I had no idea as a, a scale of reference, you know, um, hmm. that that kind of accidentally became one of the go-to sources for long-range shooting information on the computer. And so I thought, well, what the heck? I didn't know that happened. Kind of fell on my lap. So it's been fun, though. I'm, I'm having a good time with it. So did that did that sort of compound on itself where you, you put up a couple of videos and then people kept asking questions, so you put up a few more? Yes. And, and th- yes. <laughs> yeah, just, just grew organically without you, uh, you sort of planning out the whole series. It just sort of happened and... and- continue sure. to develop sure. yes uh, so the pr- the process that took place if you look at it like if i was to look at it from a scientist looking from up on the hill at myself and my situation what seemed to have happened was um i'd post a video and i would notice like a huge amount of enth- enthusiasm or questions in a category that i didn't realize was a category that people were curious about so i'm like wow these guys are really actually interested in the internal ballistics of a weapon and how it functions and how it operates and what problems can exist. And, and all this, you know, sometimes a person assumes that everyone else kind of has my exact or your own, uh, you know, perspective. And so as a person who is observant of what questions are being asked, because I used to be a guitar, I used to give guitar lessons, for example, right. Yeah. Uh, to little kids um, when I was in high school because I was playing as a professional musician back in the day when I was a kid too. Um, I was up on stage playing guitar when I was in seventh grade even. And um, But when I started giving lessons is when I really started figuring out how to read people just between, you know, between the lines. I can look at them 
And especially with the kid, they don't know how to articulate the question. They don't even know which question they're trying to ask because they haven't got that far yet in the guitar lessons. But I could know where they were going and I could anticipate what they needed to know to get to what they're trying to really get to. And so I kind of developed a knack for that in terms of reading questions between the lines. And I realized once Mm -hmm. I started getting into the series, wow, like I really need to cover this from a scientific perspective, really covering the basis of the physics and the mechanics and, and the engineering behind everything and why. Because these uh, people are not satisfied how to do the process. I can show, uh, you know, a 15-year-old girl or a 17-year-old, like, kid off the street or whoever, like, or a 10-year-old, uh, the process very quickly and how to engage targets at 1,000 yards. Yep. If you get them their input, their dope, and whatever, it's not hard. Mm. And they actually are the ones that usually have the least amount of... Uh, you know, stumbling blocks to get there because they're listening and they don't have, you don't have to untrain them on all these things. So that's not the problem. But to master something, you have to really understand why it's that way. Because then you can, su- if you understand the true science behind it, you got the foundation, then you can superimpose that vast knowledge on all the unperfect conditions which you will encounter in the field, right? Because the field is a nasty environment that's not the shooting range bench. And so yeah. when stuff gets weird and you have to start doing problem solving, now they have to actually understand the science hmm. because there's no way you could write a manual on like what to do if this happens, what to do if this happens, because the combinations of problems that come in together at different angles is infinitely complex and is super dynamic and you can never, ever have a list of answers. But if you understand the science, for example, of internal ballistics and how harmonics, you know, rattle through a rifle, all the different moving parts, you know, having to be like attached together to accomplish rigidity. You know, you can, if you just teach the basics of the science, you just turn them loose and they understand. They can self-evaluate at that point and be like, oh, wow, why am I shooting like all of a sudden to the left? Oh, and they can self-evaluate their firing position or their marksmanship um, technique that they're using in that non-conventional firing position or whatever they're doing. Mm. And then they become a viable long-range precision shooter, which means viability, that word meaning they can take care of themselves and they become a true expert and they don't need to ask anybody because they know the science. And so that's what I wanted to deliver with the 101 series was deliver that to the world and say, hey, here you go. Like, here's just the science of like how to do precision rifle shooting. You know, it's kind of fun. Hmm. Do you find that uh, given that this was started, what, six years ago, is there things to update through that course? Is that something you've gone back and done? That's a very good question. Um, There are parts of the original instructional series where I go through the process of showing how to select a cartridge or showing what features need to exist in a scope. Now, in those video parts, I anticipated that years later, equipment continues to evolve. Cartridge Hmm. selection continues to evolve all throughout time. People are continuously coming up with new things. So I was attempting, and I I maybe could have more clearly articulated that point, although I think I did a pretty good job if people pay attention to all the verbiage in the beginning of the video. (laughs) But I'm I'm showing the procedure to go through on what characteristics to look for in cartridge dynamics. And once you understand the dynamics of cartridges, now you can go through. And then I did examples showing currently available technology or with rifles, scopes, cartridges, powders, primers, etc., right? Sure. Um, What I was trying to convey was the methodology and the science of how to make that selection process in a way that's that's, uh, 
going to decisively give you exactly what you're looking for, uh, the process of elimination, so to speak. And yeah. so I suppose if I wanted to update the videos, I could show examples of some of the new existing technology. However, once I do that, there's a very short half-life to that video <laughs> because next year there'll be some new deal that's different, right? Yeah. So in all honesty, most of my videos I try to keep um, timeless, uh, because science and physics never, ever change, ever. And as long as we're shooting rifles that use a propellant to project a lead projectile down a rifle barrel yeah. uh, and that produces recoil, the shoulder fired, as long as we're using firearms, we'll put it like that, these videos are going to be applicable to that, uh, mm. is what I try to do because I look long-term, like I look 50 years in the future, you know? Yeah. All that stuff is not going to expire. Now, the details on exactly which equipment I use as examples of traits you're looking for in equipment, um, those things will change over time. Mm. Um, and that could be updated. One thing that certainly could be updated is my editing style. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started off on, a, what is that, Windows Movie Maker? And it was super re low resolution. Yeah. And it, it was kind of funny to see the evolution from the very first video, which is very like structured and organic like non-organic you know sure where i'm sitting there mr serious guy like reading my bullet points list and then as i started to get more comfortable with it and kind of just calm down uh you know by I, when you get halfway through the series i just kind of do it in more of a conversational format which is more effective i think so if i would redo this series i would cover the exact same material the exact same points and none of those have really changed hmm. um none of them are out of date but i would update the video editing style, higher quality video, you know, better B-roll footage, you know, like the guy shooting the rifle, you could actually see what he was doing because it wouldn't be like yeah. 900 miles away on a shaky camera with unprofessional photography. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But the information is is the gold. And I talked to one of my mentors in the training industry here in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Uh, James Yeager of Tactical Response. He's kind of a controversial figure uh, because he's a very robust character and very rough around the edges, but I love him. He's actually a very generous person. Um, and uh, I asked him, I said, do I need to like go through and do I need to upgrade my equipment? Because my videos, I am a dinosaur with the computer, right? t Rex the dinosaur. <laughs> and so I should, do I need to hire like a professional media crew? And he said, absolutely not. You don't need to worry about it because what you are delivering is the meat. Yep. There's meat versus sizzle is the explanation, right? So I'm not sizzling. I'm not, it's like not a well-polished deal, you know, that's like there for the special effects or whatever. Sure. It's the real heavy-duty meat of the topic. And so, but being a perfectionist, I would love to go back in time and, and help myself edit those videos or know which program to use to use for editing, you know? Yeah. Because that was all a mystery to me. So I learned a lot there. Other thing is that you you learn and you you come through is is filmmaking of interest to you or is it is that just a mechanism to get the information out there? Uh, you know that's an interesting question. I never thought I would become interested in it, but I am an artist at heart. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember when I was a kid, we did these personality based like competency tests or whatever you know psychology blah 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 at school to see what career you'd be best at. And I remember in first grade or second grade, they had all these questions on, you know, and then you had to like remember which circle is attached to which, like a beehive or whatever, you know, yeah. all these weird little tests they do. Yeah. And it came out at the end and it said, you will be a graphic design artist or an engineer. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm both. And it's, it came out to be true. I, I'm both an engineer and I have formal education in science, but I'm also an artist too, right? Yep. And so all those things are true. And they, it comes together with this synergistic effect of being able to communicate the engineering. So that's cool. That's where art meets science. And I'm not trying to be Mr. Fancy Pants or nothing, but one of the reasons, there's a lot of people who are way smarter uh, than Albert Einstein, for example. Like Minkowski, if you study uh, uh, geometry or if you're into mathematics and you read the history of it, Minkowski and some of these other guys that were uh, peers of Albert Einstein were smarter than him in math and physics. They had a much better handle on it. Sure. However, Einstein was the guy that could articulate yep. what he was trying to say. These other guys couldn't explain anything. Because they're like the quintessential, uh, what do you call them, the nerd guy with the glasses. You ever, do you have the Simpsons? Do you watch the Simpsons over there? Of course, there? of course, yeah. <laughs> you know the guy, the scientist guy with the lab coat yep. all the time? <laughs> Is that Professor, <laughs> you know? Professor Frank, uh, I believe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forget the character. But that's how a lot of uh, engineers are yeah. or people that are in, in the computer world. or you know, And it's just like um, Einstein was kind of an outlier because he was he could explain things. Mm. In a very down-to-earth way, but you know, and so that's why he became very, very effective, and at communicating what he was trying to do with his whole spiel, right? Explaining relativity and and uh, you know, inside-out geometry and all this crazy stuff that he was into. He could actually use parables and allegories and pictures and all different kinds of uh, you know, kid-time story tales to explain something, and that's where the solid gold was. Was in the. It's interesting in life, and even like if you look at. Um, all the best teachers throughout time were, they understood the topic material for sure, but they, they they concentrated their firepower on making sure that the people receiving the information were actually grabbing it. And yeah. so that's what I try to do my best. Not saying I'm the best guy by far. There's a lot of other people that are way better shots than me. A lot of my students at my classes are better shots than I am. Um, my wife is a better shot than I am with the rifle. Uh, but when it comes to explaining stuff, that's what I've tried to do because I saw that as a, a niche in the market that was never fulfilled. There's a lot of people who know how to do that extreme long-range precision shooting, but um, I had fun being the teacher of it and explaining it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it's a pretty encouraging feeling, isn't it, when you've, you've taught someone through and they actually end up being better than you. It's, it, I, I find it very encouraging. <laughs> I, I I love it. That's my favorite part is watching people when they just master it. And, and it doesn't take a lot of time if it's communicated. For me, it took me from when I was five years old. And I mean, it took me 25 years of shooting to get to where I'm at or 30 years of shooting now. Mm. Uh, actually, 33 years of shooting, I think, <laughs> to get to the point of where I'm at. Because we start off young here where I'm from. Yeah. But um, if someone can collect all that, refine it down get it down to only the the true experiences and then create like an instructional deal, you know, just narrowing in on exactly how to get it done and then produce it in a way that people can digest. You can bring someone up to speed in like five days yeah, or actually a couple hours. It's incredible like how fast someone can absorb that entire level of experience if it's explained to them properly. It's like um, when you're downloading from one computer to another, like I have this iPad and then I have this computer and they don't get along, right? Because the cord sucks or whatever. And I don't know, like, I don't know the computer terminology, but like to upload something into another deal, there has to be the proper equipment to the proper programming to actually download from one device to another, right? Yeah. That's where I concentrated to make sure that I had enough power 
uh, in my system or th- in the cord or have the right adapter plug yeah. for each person, right? So I have a whole bunch of different adapter plugs in my toolbox because I've struggled in my own uh, learning experience in the range. You know, I was a varmint hunter. I was a deer hunter. I was uh, I did other stuff. I mean, I shot a lot of M16 rounds. I've shot AR-15s. I've done tactical stuff. I've done pistol shooting. And, and then in the precision field, like I've done stuff from the bench, I've tried to shoot for tight groups. And then I tried to, you know, I did a little bit of competitive stuff back in the day, just a tiny amount, but that was, it wasn't my shtick. Um, I mean, I did great, but it was kind of boring for me. I just would prefer to be alone in the mountains. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm kind of a solitary kind of guy, believe it or not. Um, but, uh, all those different things, all those different experiences help give me those adapter plugs for different people. And so if someone comes to a class, for example, we have Rex Defense is the name of my training company that I have here in the United States. Hopefully we're going to mm-hmm. um, get my paperwork sorted out to maybe go international, you know, to some friendly countries like Commonwealth guys like yourselves. And, yeah, absolutely. And come and share the stuff over there. That'd be great. For sure. I just got to get the paperwork filled out. <laughs> but um, having all those different adapters in my toolbox for different personalities, different ways of looking at things. For example, if you ask a purely F-class shooting guy, like someone who mastered F-class, if you ask them any question about a firearm, sometimes they're going to be looking through that question in their lens only. So they're going to tell you how to chamber a rifle, for example, in a way that an F-class guy Mm -hmm. would want it. Well, if it's a deer hunter asking him that question, he might think, He's not, you know, there's field conditions and now your rifle ain't going to chamber around, for example, or vice versa, right? Like a deer rifle is not going to be the perfect setup for F class. So I, I have kind of a diverse perspective of shooting from having dabbled in most of it for most of my life and trying everything out and playing around with the different things and being enthusiastic in all the different fields to where I can see like one of the most important things about answering a question is asking a Mm -hmm. question first. What? are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? Are you going to be competition shooting, shooting for groups? Are you going to be in World War III, helping Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen fight off the Russians or what? So depending on whatever you're doing, you got it, that's going to direct the entire flow of information. I think that's a, that's a really overlooked question in, in so many areas, um, probably in life as well, but let's yeah. just focusing on shooting in terms of what equipment to buy. I mean, that's, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, what do I buy and what scope should I get or sure. what gun should I get? And, and the first question back, exactly what you said, what are you going to use it for? The, the, the tighter you can narrow that down, the the more efficiently you're going to buy whatever it is that you're getting. Same, same goes for training. Same goes for, for how you learn. Absolutely. That's a hugely important thing. And if someone fails to do that, it, it becomes a fatal error in the answer. Hmm. Um, a lot of times, unless you luckily just accidentally guessed exactly what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> but that's rare. <laughs> Absolutely. So when did you make the switch from YouTube videos to like, in, in front of people in training. When did that happen? Uh, you know, um, kind of an organically uh, occurred again. Mm. I went through some like health problems a couple of years ago. I was always kind of a fit guy, Mr. In Shape guy, climbing on the mountains and all that stuff. And yep. and all of a sudden I come down in my thir- when I is in my earlier thirties with cancer, which was kind of a surprise. Like I didn't know that would happen to young guys. Yeah. And so I had cancer and it really kicked my butt. It kicked my butt so bad that it it, took, it put me on a pretty good tailspin in terms of my physical health. And uh, when that happened was 
um, a lot of the field work I was doing was very difficult for me to continue to do just due to the, the requirements of the job requirements that I had, right? Were you working in scientific areas at that point? Uh, yeah, I was working uh, a combination of scientific and engineering kind of areas like that, yep, And uh, sure. during that time. But it required a little bit of uh, uh, certain kinds of activity that a guy couldn't really do safely. Um, given my new condition, okay. especially with the cold weather that a guy would encounter, particularly, it was very dangerous for me to go out into the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. A lot of the places where I'm from are very similar to the Outback. You can drive for like a day and not see a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah. When those conditions are mixed with 50 below zero and you're all by yourself mm. and you're like an hour's drive away from cell phone reception, it gets very dangerous. And so I thought, man, I don't want to, you know, in without with the other a lot of other combinations of things that them and some encouragement from a couple of uh, mentors, I guess you could call them mm-hmm. who were in the training industry. And once they uh, saw what I was doing just online, they said, why are you not training people? Mm. And I said, what do you mean training people? What are you, what are you talking about? Like commercially training. I'm like doing classes. And I thought, well, I don't know how to do the logistics of that. That's difficult, you know? Sure. And so uh, one of my friends said, all you have to do, you already have the advertising mechanism. You just tell people, hey, by the way, I'm training, and it's going to be on this date at this place, and yeah. here's the ticket. And then I thought, oh, that's easier than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried it. I did a beta test. Mm-hmm. Me and a couple of friends did one, and uh, it was a smash hit. And so we just kind of hit the button again to see what would happen, and it went again and tried another time, and it kept going. I was like, what the heck? This is a potential avenue of, of making ends meet, you know? Yeah. Sure. Which is nice because uh, doing the full-time engineering job that I had was a full-time job on top of another full-time job, which was the video review stuff, right? Right, yep. So basically I didn't have a life besides that. <laughs> and uh, it was nice to be able to just kind of like, okay, let's actually put resources towards this one deal. And uh, through some other physical circumstances, I had a spine surgery uh, about a year ago. Wow. And... Um, yeah, that, that took me out of the game in the job I was having. And so I thought, okay, I guess I'm full-time into this deal. You know how every once in a while you need the creator to give you a little bit of a nudge yep. to get your button gear, you know what I mean? So that's what happened to me. He said, all right, you're all right. time to fly out of the nest. He just tipped the nest over, and I flew out and had to <laughs> fly so it wouldn't crash. <laughs> and so, he, <laughs> so here I am now doing the training deal. Mm. Can you give and us an, an update on the Kansas side of things? Is that all in remission, or where, where is that up to for you? Yeah, um, so they were pretty effective at getting rid of it. Um, when they first found it, I did a surgery right away. And then after they did the, uh, I forget what the test is called that they do. It's the, yeah, see, I got chemo brain now. But they they, <laughs> they, they, they they explain exactly like where it was at and they stage it and they figure out exactly what kind of cancer it was. Sure. And they said, oh, dear, this hit a blood vessel and it's metastasizing and we think it's in your lungs and your stomach and your brain everywhere. So we need to give you chemo. And so they gave me like 19 or 18 treatments of three different kinds of platinum-based mustard gas chemotherapies, actual mustard gas. Wow. And so, yeah, that was exciting. That was fun. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. It was a hell of an experience. I should uh, do a do a review on that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, real positive. It was horrible, man. <laughs> it, yeah, it was bad. Wow. But it was like World War One technology that they pumped into my veins right there, and I thought, oh, that's great. How long did that last for? Uh, well, the chemotherapy was uh, relatively, I had to do it pretty heavy and fast, so I did every day um, until it was done over the course of a couple months. Wow. Um, and they spaced them apart, but it was 19 
treatments that I, these three different drugs. <laughs> and um, I forget, what was our topic we we're talking about? about uh, cancer? You were giving us an update on that, yeah. <laughs> Think- oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I get distracted by the, no, all these rabbit trails. It's good. But uh, yeah, anyways, I did that, and that very effectively killed whatever was in there, mm. if there was any, you know, like, uh, because they, it was kind of a mystery to them, like, they gave me the stats. I read all the stats from Europe and from the American studies, and it was like a 65% chance he wouldn't make it if I wouldn't do any further treatment. And so I said, well, shoot, I suppose I better do the mustard gas therapy then, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I went with that, you know, this is just, and I, I researched it heavily because I knew that it'd be an investment in health um, in terms of, uh, you know, really taking, taking its toll. Chemotherapy is very rough. Mm. And uh, so... I didn't want to do it unless I was darn sure it would actually work. And after I read the the numbers, they said that if you do hit it with everything you got with both barrels, yep. you know, chemo-wise, it'll kill the cancer. It'll take a toll on your body, but it'll kill the cancer. And it was almost like a, not a 100% chance, but it was a very good chance. Like, it was well worth it. Yep. Cost-benefit analysis that I did as a scientist was like, yep, I'm doing it. <laughs> so I went and I did it. and um, You were fairly physically fit as well. So your, your body probably oh, absolutely. Is, is able to do it at that age and that fitness rather than in years to come where you may not be able to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing. I never had, you know, it's funny. Empathy is something that you learn through experience sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I would hear of, you know, family members or friends getting cancer and you kind of go, oh man, that sucks. And then you just keep on with your day. Yeah. Now when I hear that, I fully get it. I'm like, oh crap, that's horrible. Oh, you would, yeah. Because it's a, it's a tough deal. It's a very tough deal. And so I was very lucky. I survived. But at the same time, it has its, its consequences when you do surgeries and and uh, treatments and stuff like that. And I've had several surgeries after that. Um, they didn't turn out to be malignant, but there was other things they had to fix and get rid of. And then from the treatment itself, interestingly enough, um, the treatment is so harsh on the body that that creates a whole new set of problems, right? And so then you have to deal with those. And so that's kind of been the tailspin. And uh, I started off really with a lot of momentum coming into it in very good shape. They said I was a highly tuned athletic machine. That's what they told me when I went in there and I started doing chemo. They're like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. But then after about a year and a year and a half later, really just all the peripheral effects from the drugs and everything else and the surgeries and the consequences of not being able to move for a year, right? Just kind of laying there, just being sick for a, a long time because it really takes a lot of the fight out of you. I and mean, I'd say I don't, I've never operated at a hundred percent since then in terms of energy output. Mm. I'm now maybe 55, 60% of the energy I used to have max on a good day. And, uh, so it, it takes us toll. And then that, you know, it's cumulative consequences, you know, you get out of shape and then you can't get out of the house or you don't want to, or you feel too sick to do anything. And, and then you get, the more you get out, it's like a tailspin. And so that's been kind of where I was at with that. So I'm lucky because I survived. At the same time, there's definitely hard parts um, of surviving it is the the pain of the treatment and all that kind of stuff. But sure. for anyone who might be struggling with it now, there's also solid gold there too that actually you'll never, ever find unless you go through something like that. And that's what I found to be the most interesting about my cancer experience was the solid gold in the gems and the treasure chest of stuff that you get when you when you experience that. Mm. 
And that's what I found to actually outweigh the negative outcomes. So overall, surviving cancer, it was a net positive outcome, not physically, but spiritually and psychologically and in terms of, you know, uh, outlook on life and uh, things like that. It was a, a net positive outcome, even with being sick and, and going through the struggles. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's worth uh, over a million dollars just to go through. So if I highly recommend if you ever get a chance to go through cancer and have some chemo, go ahead and try it out and you'll find some solid gold <laughs> if, if you keep your eyes open. Yeah. I, I, but you learn so many things in life about like who love you know, what, what things are worth investing into when you think you're about to check out, right? Yeah. When, yeah. when the doctor comes in and says, man, this is aggressive. This doesn't take long to get you. And then you're sitting there contemplating, you know, the grave yeah. or whatever, right? Or not being there no more. All of a sudden you get very, very clear vision on those things in life, which are very important. And um, you find out like, wow, I need to quit wasting my time watching, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies or playing a video game. What a waste of time. I could have been hanging out with my wife. I could have been going for a walk with uh, friends in, mm. in having human relationships. I could have been uh, contemplating uh, the creator's universe and hit my relationship with him. And so all of that stuff is actually super, super, super valuable. And that's something that I thought I had before, but I never realized hmm. until you're approaching the Grim Reaper how solid gold of an experience that is. And so I'm very lucky to have had my experience. And if I would, and here's another thing too that's interesting. Um, I've never really talked about this before, even on my channel, but I've had some close friends who at the same time I had it also got it. So I don't know what kind of exposure we're all having it with, but for them, they've had similar experiences, I think. Mm. I don't think they would want to do it again. It's a bad idea. Like, I'd be scared if it would happen again, obviously. But when you look back after them surviving it, um, it was solid gold. And for a yeah. few of them who didn't survive, here's where it gets very heavy, but I'll tell you what happened. Um, one of them was a gentleman that I kind of grew up with in my hometown, he was in his 50s or maybe, you know, mid-50s. He had a bunch of kids, and he had pancreatic cancer, which is a very tough one. Mm. And um, he ended up kind of falling behind on the physical battle. And, you know, his kids really, really wanted him to continue to pursue the treatment. And it's just so rough. I understand where he's coming from. The treatment is so horrible. It's like you don't – it's not a fun thing to do. Not at all. Um, that he said, no, 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 I'm good. You know, and, and the, the statistical odds at that point were not going to really – it was kind of uh, in vain anyways. The treatment would have been in vain at that point. Yeah. It was basically going to get him. Yeah. And he had the most solid gold glow about him that I've ever seen a human have. He knew he was about to check out like within that month. Mm. And he never would complain about it. He wasn't crying about it. He wasn't mad about it. He came to peace with that. And then he said, I'm going to live out the last days of my life with everything I got to make every single person I meet have the best day they ever had. <laughs> and so, for example, we're at some kind of picnic picnic or something like that or some kind of deal, potluck or we're, I don't know what you call them in Australia, there where you get around and everyone brings food and you all sit around and just have a good time, yep. you know, 50 people or whatever. And uh, uh, Mrs. Tibor, my, my wife, comes over. And he comes over and he just makes her day. Just like, oh, aren't you beautiful today? Look at you in your dress. Isn't that nice? And just, I mean, but he was legitimately glowing. And he was he was living it up hardcore. He lived 
so heavy duty in those last that last couple of weeks he had yep. that like his experience was actually a net positive, even though it got him, mm. because the solid gold is in that. That's pretty heavy, but I wanted to make sure everyone understood that even if it doesn't work out for you, yeah, physically, that that gold can be transferred into a different account, the heavenly account. The, Does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely, and you certainly see people have either gone through that or, as you're saying, going through it, but have that attitude of, uh, of well, if, if I'm, I'm not here for long, I'm going to make it worthwhile, and, and you see that priority shift in them, and It'd be nice if it's something we <laughs> you could replicate without the pain, but I think that struggle yeah. is is what pushes you through it, isn't it? And makes you rethink sure. priorities. And and I've even yeah, you know, to a much a much lesser extent, much lesser extent, just seen people, friends of mine, go through go through pain with their families or or kids or or whatever they're in, and it, it makes you appreciate what you've got, uh, big time. Absolutely, big time. Yeah, and in terms of um, just. In terms of removing baggage, you know, it's funny how, like, people on planet Earth, like ourselves, you and me, me both, yeah, when everything's going hunky-dory, we kind of add stuff to the basket that we don't need. We do. Life is actually very beautiful when, or beautiful when it's simple, right? And it's awesome when it's simple. And when you have those couple of treasures that you have, um, we tend to overcomplicate things. When I got sick, and I thought I was not going to make it for a little while there, mm-hmm. for a short time. Um, I really learned how to get rid of stuff I didn't need. And so I just took all this baggage. I was dragging along. I'm like, it's like, uh, what's that in that, uh, the Scrooge story? You know what I'm talking yep. about? Yeah. Uh, Charles Dickens, right? The guy who's dragging around all the change with all the, the gold, all this treasure with him. Yes. Yeah. The one. That's what I realized I was doing in life. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing this for? I don't need all this stuff. And so that goes with people that you're, I mean, that can go with personal relationships that aren't yielding fruit, you know, hanging out with people that are maybe the wrong people. Yep. And I don't mean to be that way, but that's the truth. But you find the people who do love you or who are, who are aligned um, that, that, you know, you just simplify life. Um, you learn so much about those things or like where to spend your time. Hmm. You know what I mean? And that's when, and I need to reevaluate my position again some point in the near future here because um, we tend to throw ourselves at these things we convince ourselves we need. Like, oh, I need a bigger house. I need more cars. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, you become a slave to all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm kind of in that boat again with the project as well. I love doing what I do in terms of the long-range shooting, the reviews, and the training and all that stuff. But in all reality, I have to continuously remind myself of what I learned when I went through that because I don't want to miss out on the beautiful simplicity of the treasure that's laying on my lap i'm seeking treasure i don't need and it's actually not treasure (laughs) it evaporates so quickly and when you do finally get a hold of the treasure realize that it's fake like wow i now have earthly you know respect or earthly like whoa i'm cool guy or whatever that stuff doesn't mean nothing it doesn't mean anything at all yes and the happiest i've ever been in my life was i was just me and my wife we lived in a very very humble setting in a little trailer house in a kind of a, a shady neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> and life was simple, and I just had her, and we'd walk around and visit. I didn't even have television. Hmm. And um, so going through those experiences are highly valuable. And um, I would encourage everyone to go to try at least once. Well, and the, the thing is, too, here here's another thing about it, which is maybe a word of comfort for anybody going through anything, any kind of physical ailment or any kind of struggles with that is we need to come to terms with the fact nobody 
makes it out of this one alive. Yeah. One way or the other. <laughs> Everyone's checking out. That's right. So eventually. we're all, yep, we're all going to, we're all not going to make it. Like there's only two guaranteed things in life, death and taxes, right? Same in this country. <laughs> so, yeah. Not wrong. And, and particularly if you, you know, you talk about getting those, uh, those treasures, those exciting things that you sort of feel so compelled to, uh, to chase after and uh, nothing particularly wrong with them. But if they come with a compromise. Sure. And, and the treasure I still find in the, um, the, the treasure I still do find in what I'm doing with the continued videos and the mm. con- particularly the training yeah. is the personal relationships with the people That's right. that I get to meet. Like I never would have been able to have this opportunity to meet all these cool people. Like there's, I mean, especially in the field of long range precision shooting, they're all very high quality people. They, they are, and, aren't they? They're just really good people to be around. Yeah, because they're disciplined. They're disciplined folks. They got their poop in a group, at least somewhat. <laughs> Nobody really does in life, you know, in all honesty. <laughs> and if you do, it's not for long. But it, it's my kind of folk, you know what I mean? Mm. And so being able to meet these people and visit with them and, and break bread with them and, you know, maybe share some of the stuff like we were just talking about yeah. and even just sharing the good news of what good stuff there is coming around the corner, that's my secret um, mission. That you Don't tell anybody, by the I way. Won't. I but won't. that's my secret mission. <laughs> <laughs> but no just just sharing um sharing the solid gold that i've learned yeah not in the shooting deal but just um in life god's gracious nature hmm. and that he'll take you home whenever it's time and don't worry about it if i can just be able to hang out with people and, and do that that's it's all worth every amount of uh blood sweat and tears i ever put into it so hanging out with people and being able to have these conversations like you and me are having now yeah. that's where the gold is for me now i don't care about being a cool guy or being tactical or being the best shooting guy that I ever saw or whatever, or, or even like being on top of the industry or whatever the heck in these guys, people in the world strive for, like, hmm. that's all great. And that's all a great blessing, you know, to maybe be pointed in that direction, but it has to now to whom much is given much is required. Hmm. So that's the sobering part. I have to live up to the expectations to make sure that whatever God has given us in terms of your competency, my competency, we're all responsible to use that for his glory and to do good things with it. Am I allowed to preach on here? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. See, the thing is I've always respected about you, Rex, and, and you know, I've followed, you know, followed your videos from, from many years ago, and we've had a couple of conversations in between, and, and you've always just gone about it the way you you thought best and the way that you know, you just, you've done your thing, you've done you. And whether or not people have uh, you know, jumped on board has really been not the big question. It's been about being true to yourself and you've been just going for it. And, and clearly, sure. clearly that's, uh, that's hit a chord with many people because uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the training you're doing. And you obviously you're traveling and you're spending time with people uh-huh. and, and imparting knowledge. H- how is that all going? It's going great. It's going a lot better than I ever imagined it would go. I was actually shocked. Um, when we had our first event and it, I mean, it sold out very quickly, like in a couple of, I don't know, like a day or less than a day, a couple hours or something like that. Yeah. And, um, I was kind of scared to go to that thing because I didn't know who would show up. Like I imagined like the worst possible situation, right? I'm always ready for the worst situation. Yeah. And then I'm enthusiastic when it's better than I think. Right. So I'm always ready for a fight when I walk in like, okay, how's it going to go? And, uh, I walked in there and I realized, wow, these guys are awesome. Mm -hmm. Every single person at every event. I mean, there's been some eccentric people, but hey, man, I'm eccentric (laughs) as hell. You're you're very eccentric probably too in your own ways. I don't know. I think we all are. But uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. But everyone was awesome. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is fun, man. I like this stuff. This is neat being able to meet all these folks and, you know, visit with them all the time. I love visiting with people. That's my favorite. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so I continued to do the training and it's continuing to go very good. And actually the quality, if you want to just get into the, you know, the, the training part with the rifle shooting part, mm. man, we've learned, I've learned so much from other people or learned from watching myself train people new stuff that I need to train. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I've learned more than they have probably (laughs) (laughs) just by like, huh, never thought about it like that. You know, for example, like uh, establishing a firing position, how exactly to center your gravity of your body behind the weapon Mm. for ELR shooting at extreme long range, the recoil has to come straight back and then the rifle can return back to its natural point of aim on target. So you can observe your bullet coming through that, you know, maximum ordnance. And uh, if you lose it in the recoil, you can't spot your own trace, you can't spot your own splash, and you can't adjust fire. So you send eight bazillion rounds trying to see where you're hitting. You know what I'm saying? Yes, certainly. <laughs> and so learning how to uh, how much that affects it, because I there's something that I intuitively, subconsciously employed for years, so I never even thought to explain it. Mm. But then when you go to training class, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this was a thing. So then you start to learn, like, how or how do you adjust the bipod properly? Yes. You can't just throw a bipod on there. you got to have it centered to where that axis of the bore is center line with the mass of your body, idealistically. But then there's also priorities you need to balance to, to get it done more effectively and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's been a lot of fun. The training's been awesome. And it's uh, evolved tremendously since we started in the very first generation of the training uh, in 2017. And by the time I got to class number four, number five, it's come a long ways. Yeah. And the flexibility of, uh, because I, I start to get a better sense of what people need to, or are curious about, or what they need to learn, or, or where those links in the chain need to be, you know, re-welded or whatever. Because um, the, the whole system only works as good as the weakest link in the whole chain. Hmm. You got all these hundreds of links linked together. If one of them ain't going to work, you're going to miss. And so... I'm getting more of a knack now to uh, identify with other people um, where those things are and and create more of a dynamic training environment that encompasses all the things without making it seem hard because we make it very easy. And so it's been a lot of fun. I've been having a great time. When you kicked off your training, if if, I could be wrong on this, but you started off with seminars. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, the the reason for that is because, like I said before, the science is so fundamentally important. Mm. Um, if you're going to go and you're going to fly an F-18 Hornet fighter jet off an aircraft carrier, right? Sounds great. I mean. They don't just put you in the pilot seat and say, all right, there's the gas. You know, here's the throttle. Here's where you launch the missiles. Yeah. Here's the landing gear button. Here's your fuel tank. Good luck. Yeah. You know, like, and here's your radio. We'll be on channel number whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. And then they launch you off the carrier and you crash and die, right? Perfect. They have a school portion first explaining how to fly the jet. Yeah. Because there's enough stuff involved to where if you don't do it right, you're not going to be successful in flying the fighter jet. Hmm. So long range shooting is different. It's not, I mean, there's a huge element of muscle memory and uh, kinesthetics involved in the learning process, like 
ergonomics and, and all that stuff is true. Like pistol shooting, I love because I don't have to think. I just whip out the pistol and I just start hammering away. You don't need to think about anything. Well, yeah. I love, it's more of a more of a, a different kind of skill set like playing the guitar becomes after you master it, right? Yep. It's all second nature. It's all experience-based. It's all you know just doing each move properly and stuff like that. But rifle shooting is at long ranges requires a classroom portion. So the seminar was kind of the cornerstone. And also, I didn't want to go straight out into the field with people without explaining it. Otherwise, they, you'd just be burning your tires. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. They, ha- You have to make sure, like the Sniper 101 series or the Long Range Precision Shooting 101 series, whatever you want to call it, that's on YouTube uh, for free, has all the different parts of the car. Like here's the the throttle connection cable or whatever. Here's the little spring on the carburetor. Here's the, you know, the, the whatever in the back, here's the differential bolt on the left side. It explains each part of the car and how it will operate. But when you come to the training, we show you how to put that all together properly Mm -hmm. in the right order, torque it all down and then start it up, break it in, let it drive, take a spinner on the block real slow and then work your way up to driving like a, I don't know, like Mario Andretti, the race car driver or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I guess on online you've got no control over the order that people watch the videos despite you putting you know, numbering them or anything, but people can jump in at whatever episode they want. They can pick and choose, whereas when they're in the room with you, you can take them through Correct. the process. Yep, and it's it's more – and actually the training is well beyond what's in the uh, – the oh, online oh, instructionals. Course. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Because we put it all together and we show people what's important. For example, I did a video on Coriolis effect, right? Mm-hmm. Very popular. People love that stuff. It's interesting physics, right? That's what drives us to want to master this kind of stuff. It's like, wow, that's so interesting. Sure. But in real life, when do you need to worry about that? Yeah. And so there's guys, for example, worried about the Coriolis effect and they're pointed 180 degrees in the wrong direction on the shooting range. Like, whoa, dude, you're pointing in the wrong direction. First of all, we got to get the natural point of aim straightened out. There's priorities, right? So, like, the Coriolis effect will make you miss by, like, the tiny amount at extreme long range. Just a tiny amount. You know, like yeah. your finger's width or whatever, right? Yeah. Or maybe a couple inches. Whereas the wind, if you misread that, or your shooting position, or how you're touching the rifle or your marksmanship technique, or whatever, or having your scope mounted incorrectly, or using the wrong scope, or, or you know, not managing the ballistic software inputs correctly. That's going to make you miss by 30 feet. Hmm. So people, a lot of times, will focus on things they find interesting, but not necessarily on those things that will make them a real shooter. So at the seminar, we go through the process of creating the foundation. And, and cementing that in there, and then we build the house in the correct order, show them how the pieces all fit together, right? Yes. Like, if you just get a big crate full of parts of every part that's in a Toyota Prius, like, I wouldn't know what the heck to do with it. <laughs> I'd be I'd be toast. I wouldn't know what to do. And so, uh, you know, it, it, having someone walk you through the process of how to assemble engine on the car, and then, you know time it properly and then start you know all that's super important so we did start off the seminar it's still kind of a cornerstone class especially for guys that want to like the seminar is not entirely necessary to shoot out to a thousand yards that's relatively simple sure um but when you go into extreme long-range shooting if your objective is to hit the target on the first or the second shot 
Now you have a huge amount of other stuff that you got to really master. Hmm. So the seminar covers a lot of those details. That's our end game. We're trying to shoot as far as that rifle can possibly deliver effective fire, which is usually beyond a thousand yep. for most center fire rifles, you know, that are like a, a long range configured rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the seminar covers the science involved there. Um, a little bit more on the external ballistics and the internal ballistics and, and stuff like that. But we have a lot of whole diversity of uh, field courses now too because you also have to execute all those things <laughs> right. in field conditions with your body. And then you have to make it muscle memory. You have to make the procedure muscle memory, right? Hmm. Like what procedure do you have to go through? Because in real life, if you're hunting a real target, right? Let's say we're deer hunting or any animate target. Yep. Uh, do you guys hunt kangaroos down there? Uh, we we shoot kangaroos uh, under permits. Um, <laughs> it's probably more more okay. descriptive. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I got you. Kind of a uh, a varmint uh, classification it, on the creature. Maybe it I is. Yeah, but it's uh, it's somewhat uh, more controlled. Um, and and there is uh, okay. national standards that that you're meant to uh, only shoot uh, okay. shoot them within 200 meters. Yep. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. That's actually a wise way of managing that because you want to be a disciplined uh, shooter before you start taking animals' lives because you want to do it in an effective way, right? You sure. get a high, high degree of responsibility once you start actually putting bullets on their live targets yeah. um, to do it you know, in a clean way. Um, anyways, but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that happens in the field that is way different than when we take our time on the shooting range and we can have our sip of coffee and then get our stuff together. And then in real life, the ant, like in my case, like the white-tailed deer sees you from 700 yards away and then it starts running and you have a four-second window. Mm. What are you going to do? <laughs> you have to be very field expedient. Like, okay, you know, yeah. most of the time you just decide not to shoot and then you got to, you know, be more sneaky or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's, reality is way different than the ideal range uh, environment. Yes. And so that's one of the things that I concentrate on in my field training classes is that, is teaching people not only how to do it, but how to do it in a way that's sensible in real life. If you ever actually had to employ the skill set in real life, how would you do it right now? Hmm. Well, I think that that's, uh, that's probably a part of the popularity of PRS where you're not just in that. I mean, you're on a range and you're shooting a competition, but the, the conditions you find yourself in, in the, the manufactured conditions mm-hmm. you find yourself in aren't just uh, all the time in the world and you know, whatever whatever you like to do. It's uh, often quite rushed. And, yeah, it, mm, it introduces the element of time pressure, right? Sure. And a different array of targets at different shooting positions. So PRS is great for adding time pressure, uh, making people learn. Uh, how to establish non-conventional firing positions. Very good for that. Mm. Of course, they're still different than real life because in real life, when you peek over the hill, you can't say, okay, there's going to be a deer that pops out over here and then the rabbit's going to run down this trail here and you can't write it all on your arm ahead of time. (laughs) So real life is still way different than anything that we can try to produce in competition, but it's good to exercise those muscles nonetheless. Mm. If you're doing curls in the gym, right? You're exercising your bicep, yeah. but that's not exercising your your back or your legs, yeah. and so those are or or going for a run for three miles, right? Mm-hmm. So each different muscle, it's good to diversify one skill set and skills by going to all different kinds of 
um, experiences like going to PRS shooting, learning stuff from the F-class guys in the category of ammunition reloading, for example, mm-hmm. or going over hunting to learn the field craft, which is a whole different yeah. ball game, or learning maybe in whatever whatever your shtick is, whatever your profession is, on the law enforcement tactical side or whatever. Um, that's a whole different dynamic, a whole different set of pressures that you have to be really good at to execute your mission with perfection, right? Mm. And whatever that is. And if you're just having fun, it's fun to master everything. So yeah. that's why I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, fantastic. It's uh, it's going well. What are, uh, Often on those courses, I bet you hear some some common misconceptions or, or stories of, uh, of things. Have you found sort of some some regular things that people have a, a misunderstanding of? Well, um, yes, is a general trend, but it's hard to, to back away because sometimes a lot of these misconceptions are not necessarily misconceptions. It's them looking at the world through whatever lens they have. Mm-hmm. For example, sometimes I see from a field perspective, guys that plan on using it for hunting, Pardon me, or for uh, tactical applications potentially, which is similar to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, an overemphasis on the subtleties of, you know, load development, for example. Sure. On your reloads, there are certain characteristics that one in long range precision shooting has to have squared away, like um, a good standard deviation, which means like your your velocity is very consistent. Yes. That's actually quite a bit more important at long range than is your group size. You can have a one inch, one and a quarter inch group at 100 yards, but if you have very consistent velocity, like your standard deviation is very low, you, you actually are going to be, have a smaller cone of fire at distance, at least vertically dispersed than you would with a gun that put them all in the same exact hole that had a larger spread on velocity. So loading for velocity consistency is one thing, for example, for long range shooting. However, if you're shooting, if your competition shooting on paper, then it's a different deal. Mm. So a lot of the different methodologies that have been uh, gaining momentum in time have been developed with a specific angle in mind. For example, another one is cleaning the rifle. A lot of the traditions we've inherited mm. from uh, police and military circles, like when if anyone who ever has been in the service knows that every day. When you get back from the range, you scrub every part of the M16 down to the bone, down to the bare metal with brake fluid, and you use a steel ramrod, and you get super aggressive with your cleaning. Hmm. Or for F-class, the chamber is so tight on a rifle sometimes that you really have to clean that rifle a lot so that it can even feed the rounds yep. because otherwise it gets too tight from the you know the, the fouling buildup. However, from a long-range precision field perspective, um, sometimes you have to use minimal disturbance um, as part of your cleaning regimen, sure. which means that you don't want to mess with anything. Don't touch it. You want to, you want it to have a natural fouling environment to the bore because each time you go in there and clean that weapon, it is now different because you introduce mechanical bore erosion with your hand rather than a bullet mm-hmm. it does the same thing. It cleans it out with the bullet. Whatever was in there is cleaned out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it deposits a little bit of copper, but uh, copper following equilibrium um, is something that people don't understand is important to maintain uh, for long-range shooting because of velocity issues, muzzle velocity variation particularly becomes incredibly important. And so a lot of guys will over-clean the bore on the rifle. 
I will still clean the bolt. I'll make sure that, uh, you know, stuff is clean to where it'll function properly. But I will never get Western on a precision rifle yep. bore for field applications or for long-range shooting. Um, uh, I like to maintain more of a natural environment on the bore. Hmm. But there's different perspectives, too. Like I said, it depends on how your rifle is chambered, what kind of rifling it has, what bullets you're shooting, exactly how it's loaded. In some cases, you might have to do copper remediation. Like in a hyper-velocity round, we'll call it like a 220 Swift or a 22-250, right? Yep. Where you have 4,000 feet a second or 3,700 feet a second. Now you have like a more uneven copper distribution because it's actually like just splashing in there. Hmm. And so that's a problem. But in standard velocity, long-range shooting type rounds where you're pushing a heavier bullet, there's a certain amount of copper and following equilibrium that you want to allow to take place because yep. it'll plateau out and you'll be able to do that. So that's just another example. Yeah, the cleaning one certainly uh, evokes a lot of different responses and a, little, a lot of different passions depending on the crowd and the individual that you're speaking to and, and certainly... Uh... Absolutely. And that's something I need to reiterate again. Every one of these things we're talking about is looking at it through the lens. My particular yeah. lens is long-range precision shooting field applications. So that's my lens. And I like to preface my deals <laughs> on that. If you're doing something different, yeah. then there's probably a different methodology for that. A absolutely. How does it feel, Rex, to have spent all this time on making videos on YouTube and putting time and effort and research into putting these videos up and then having your biggest... A video of just you shooting a 50 cal bmg in terms of views <laughs> is that what it is <laughs> your uh, your 50 bmg video is is the most I, popular video on your channel with uh, 1.8 million views i don't even i see that's funny because i don't even know i should probably <laughs> do some research on my channel is that the most popular one <laughs> that is the most popular one and uh it's amazing like amazing where all the ones you put time and research and such into and uh the one yeah. the one that's the most popular is is just something uh something it, silly screwing around yeah. <laughs> screwing around out in the field yeah so that's i right. figured if if i would just put a bunch of ammo in the microwave or something that's and i watch those too i'm <laughs> I'm not talking the, against that. I think that stuff is hilarious. I'm like, what would happen? I want to know. You know, so that's, I understand that people sit back after a hard day's work. Yeah. They don't want to go to college necessarily, <laughs> right? They just want to have fun. Yeah. And so they kick back with a, with a beer mm. and they say, I'm going to drink this uh, Belgian ale and I'm just going to watch what makes me laugh. Yeah. And so they'll watch the, the kids with their skateboards crashing into light poles. And then the next video is where they're putting ammunition in the microwave, yep. right? Or whatever. Yep. And so that's fun. But yeah, it's, it's funny. Like all the videos that I poured my heart and soul into <laughs> are some of the lower count videos. And then some of the sillier ones yeah. are like huge. I know. And I, it's, I don't get it, but it's all right, man. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Actually, I do get it. Yeah. It's just more fun, right? Not wrong at all. I'll tell you what, if you make it out here, we will do a video where we put ammo into a microwave. Just because uh, <laughs> there's some incentive for you to get out here. I think that's actually already been done before, but uh, we'll figure out something pretty silly. We'll f we'll figure out something funny. We'll do it on a skateboard, and, and then go and then crash into a pole <laughs> at the end. Yeah. <laughs> or we could like fill up a giant stuffed rabbit full of tannerite, and then go in a shopping cart down a hill with a shotgun, and have them set up on lanes on each side, and you got to shoot them, and they blow up, or I don't know. We might have to do that one when we come to you, because that's not gonna that's not gonna fly in Australia, unfortunately. <laughs> 
They don't. They don't let you do that at the range in Australia. Not a uh, not Tannerite. Oh. <laughs> not Tannerite. Unfortunately. So uh, anyway, we'll we'll do that in the states. We'll we'll come over there. A shotgun actually would not set off most Tannerite. No. You have to be supersonic to do that. So so it'd be safe. But we, we'd fix it in post. <laughs> we'd, we'd fix it up in post. It'd be fine. And for a while there, oh, boy. Rex, you were running a podcast. Is that still going, or is that something you've uh, taken a break from? Uh, no, we still are doing it. It's just a matter of uh, when I started biting off more than I could chew with the training company sure. and the review company, um, it was very difficult to uh, find the time where we could all get together. Yeah. And so uh, Lou and Casey, we still do projects together and I actually have a podcast coming up in the hopper here pretty soon mm-hmm. that's sitting there waiting for me just to upload it. But everyone has their own profession and their own job and their day job. And so it's just hard to get everyone together. And then it's hard for everyone to edit it and then upload it. You know, the procedure for a podcast is actually Certainly do. tedious a little bit. Yeah. Unless you got some kind of high speed folks helping you or something. <laughs> no, we're just chipping away, chipping away. We get there eventually. Yeah. Our release schedule is not the most regular. I, yeah, I love it. What I found what I found was a lot easier substitute for the, the podcast show was to do live streams. I didn't realize how you just hit go mm. and then you talk for a while. Mm. And then when you're done, you stop, and then it's on there. Done. Yeah. Easy. No editing. No. So to streamline procedures, it's not as good quality on terms of audio. But um, for me, being super busy, that's kind of trying to make up for it. But I, my favorite actually is the podcast. Yeah. Because that's where we, there's not the pressure to, you know, hey, Rex, you know, explain this uh, whatever long-range stuff. It, we get into all kinds of fun stuff like, you know, the the Bible study stuff social commentary just on the way the world is turning mm. you know like our advice you know like or and then like analyzing the trajectory of mankind and all this stuff <laughs> and anthropology and and what if the aliens invaded and just it's a lot more fun to sit there and not have to go through something so serious or so mechanical yeah and just have more fun so i i love the podcast venue that's one of my favorites personally to knock out so yeah i i have to agree with you completely there because uh this is uh, I'm now on three podcasts because I, I clearly have nothing better to do with my life, and uh, and <laughs> it's uh, I thoroughly enjoy it because you do you, you cover uh, lots of territory, and and I, I have noticed you've really got into the live uh, video, and that's purely convenience things I, I suspect, and it's it's very effective. I'm sure you get quite a few watches on the live videos. Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, we, I just did one last night mm. where we're talking about the evolution of rifle scope design and how they've done it. And oh, yeah. uh, they're going good. And it's interesting the search engine optimization, you know, understand that like live streams are shuffled to the front of the pack and, mm. or so I've been told or next week it'll change or <laughs> next week the YouTube channel won't even exist because it's too offensive. <laughs> that's a funny thing. YouTube yeah. clamping down on the offensive videos. Yes. They'll leave stuff up that's so crazy. Yeah. That's incredibly radical, like uh, bad guys doing bad things in certain places. I ain't going to say exactly what that is. but <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But then I'll have a video with an old gentleman mm. explaining how to polish a piece of walnut using linseed oil, yeah. right? Like gunstock carving. Yeah. And then I'll get a letter from YouTube saying this video has been marked offensive to most viewers and shall be like demonetized. And they take uh, like all the stats out of it. And I'm like, what? The- You're offended by the old guy carving a piece of wood? 
What the hell planet are you guys from? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> YouTube is something I'd love to lean into uh, more, uh, but just uh, when that's out of your control, that's what I think that's why I like podcasting because you, there is no central yeah. uh, bank. It is you, you put it out there to the world, and if, it, <laughs> if people like it, they'll listen, and if they don't, they'll move on to something else. Absolutely. Mm. Me too. I, and there's a lot more liberty there yes. to kind of say and speak freely. Um, whereas Facebook and YouTube, unfortunately, are kind of authoritarian in the manner of trying to be your digital mommy mm. and tell you every little thing you have to do. Oh, you're not allowed <laughs> to say that. You know, it's like, excuse me, if I needed a mommy, I'd go to my actual mommy yeah. or I'd imagine what she would say one way or the other. Right. <laughs> like, I don't need YouTube out of all the benevolent sources in the universe of infinite wisdom mm. to tell me what is offensive or not. Mm. I mean, give me a break, man. It is ridiculous. So. <laughs> It's like, Agreed. but at the same time, it's entertaining, right? Yeah, not it's wrong. It's entertaining as well. <laughs> it keeps you, <laughs> keeps you guessing, keeps you guessing. Never, never know what the YouTube, Facebook, all these other private companies are going to do. But you know, that's uh, anyway. That's that's why I like podcasts. And actually, what would be funny is uh, mm-hmm. if they actually ever did just ban the channel. Yeah. Then I'd be, I'd have a vacation, man. <laughs> I could be a free man. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It's like, well, there goes that deal. Yeah. Guess I'm going to go and uh, teach paleontology or something. I don't know. You know, like <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. Do you know how many videos you have on YouTube, Rex? I think it's uh, 600 and some wow. now. I forget. <laughs> um, 620 or something. I just throw them on there. You know. Wow. And uh, yeah. I I wish I, if I had a full time media coordinator, mm. that'd be kind of a handy deal because then I could actually have someone show me how to actually properly run that thing. Because sure. One of the parts that makes me sad is like, I wish I had more time to spend on answering everyone's questions. I used to answer all the different questions that came in and on Facebook and on YouTube and through emails, I have a lot of questions. We'll just put it like that. Mm. And it's way more than I can handle. Like even if I would clone... 10 of me, I don't think I could handle the questions. That's another reason I'm trying to be comprehensive with the training and the one-on-one series is to help manage that. Yeah. But it's just, um, if I had a media coordinator or something like that, that'd be great, you know, because then they could uh, uh, get things sorted out and have better customer service, so to speak, because I'm kind of a one-man show at the moment. So Mm. it's uh, learning how to do it, man. Just trying to to not bite off more than I can chew (laughs) As I already have done. <laughs> where's, where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in being able to deal with your workload? Nah. That, that sounds boring. Right now I'm doing a test on the human body to see how much stress it can endure. <laughs> like, okay, no sleeping, flying around, never seeing the family, and just 900 hours on the computer, yep. and the rest of it out on the range inhaling toxic like propellant fumes <laughs> and uh, accumulating more overpressure fatigue. Yep. Oh, let's see, if, see how much uh, Rex can handle, you know? And the occasional mustard <laughs> gas uh, intake as well. Oh, man. Yeah. Put that on top of it, man. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, the human body's incredibly tough, though, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, you've proven that, haven't you? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> not not something I wanted to do, but yeah, there you are. I bet, mate. But it's good to see you take take the most out of it that you can. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's the only choice we got. Yeah, when I was first diagnosed with the cancer thing, I was bent out of shape about it. It was really, really hard for me because I'm a young guy and I'm like, it ain't fair. I'm too young for this. This is bull crap, you know? And I called Mm. my aunt, who's actually my godmother, and um, I was kind of, you know, telling her my sob story or whatever. 
and she understood because yep. she had gone through really bad stage four breast cancer a couple times, I think, or once or twice, I forget. But she had been through the fight. And um, she just very calmly, she's a believing type lady, right? She believes in things beyond mm-hmm. this world. And she says, okay, so number one, you have it. You can't change that. So that's there. You can't look back and say, oh, man, I wish I didn't have it. It's already there. Now all you can control, you can't control that you got it. It's there. The only thing you can control is you can choose to either be very angry about it or you can choose to be negative about it or you can choose to be positive about it. You pick what you do with it now. You got it. That's off the table. Too bad. Now either be angry about it or be happy about it. And I thought, what the hell? I never thought of that. And so that soaked in and it was very constructive and it helped a guy get through. So that's life. And that's the same thing with, uh, you know, when you get overwhelmed at work or anything, that same mindset. We There's certain things we control in life and there's certain things we don't control. And it's uh, kind of up to us to manage the controllable things and accept the uncontrollable things. And so that's helpful as well. Yeah. And we've, we've certainly seen that in, in the way you sort of picked up with the with the training aspect and just going full steam into it. It's uh, it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see that grow. Yeah, we, we love it. It's a lot of fun. I, I And I know I, I've got a lot of good folks hanging out with me, especially in the last uh, a year of it. And uh, just you meet so many good mm. people that are just excellent people and make a lot of new friends and lifelong friends too. Yeah. And that's that's the the best part about it all. And, you know, if you can find a compadre to go out there and go shooting with and, <laughs> and stuff like that and have that and share that hobby, that's a connection that you'll have that is kind of unique because not a lot of people are into it. And uh, it's just uh, it's all solid gold, baby. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Well, Rex, thank you very much for your time. mate. It's been uh, wonderful to have a chat and get to know you a little bit better <laughs> and find out about life. Absolutely. I, I really enjoy sitting down too. And thanks for letting me banter on. <laughs> <laughs> no problems. What What is next in store for you for the rest of this year? Oh, man. Well, I got an event in Las Vegas and then I got a shot show, I suppose, is a big deal here in the United States. You'll be uh, you'll be there, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing? Um, that's kind of sort of the plan. Yep. Uh, that's contingent on a multitude of factors. Um, I kind of play life by ear. Okay. And so... Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe um, I, I will always fulfill my commitments within my ability to do so. Sure. So if I schedule a training event, I'll be there. But in terms of the long-term outlook in the future, yep. who knows? Uh, maybe I'll disappear back into the woods again and uh, uh, take care of the wife and mm. and do the family stuff and uh, just kind of enjoy that. So, But while I'm here, uh, definitely having a good time. And if uh, I ever was to escape one day from, from the task at hand and... <laughs> And it's it's a it's a lot of work. It, it's yeah, a lot of work. Of but if I ever did escape from it, uh, just say a good prayer for for Rex and and everything like that, and I'll be having fun someplace. No doubt, no doubt. Well, if you do manage to uh, get to <laughs> Shot Show, we shall see you there. Or are you going to be at Shot Show? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, what the heck? Well, shoot, maybe I'm gonna have to actually go there now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a, that would be a wonderful thing. We'll do it. We'll do a podcast in the in the flesh. Uh, be that'd be awesome. Thing. Yeah, hardcore, man. I'm game. Yeah. So I'm gonna try to make it. I'm actually gonna look up my uh, my ticket there and see if I can get back in with my media stuff. And uh, yep. that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Rock and roll. Terrific, man. Well, thank you. For your time. Absolutely. And it was a pleasure talking to you and, and uh, also your audience, too. I just love you guys down there. And uh, um, I always have a lot of fun talking with all you guys. So, Brilliant. Uh, 
May the force be with you. <laughs> and also with you, eh? <laughs> Terrific, mate. Sounds good. Thanks, Rex. Right. Cheers. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics.